I think most of you will agree with me that 2020 has been an exhausting year. We could use so many adjectives. I'm going to go with exhausting. So many of our personal and our social systems have been pushed to their limits and beyond. I have new wrinkles this year. I'm sure you do too. Uh, I found myself at many times this year saying it is 20 freaking 20 or, or some variant of that. How are we still fighting these battles? How have we not figured this out? How are we still having to fight for progress and growth and equality and to root out oppression and exploitation, things like that? It's 2020. How how is it that we're still fighting these back, uh, battles? And, and here's an example. A couple of weeks ago, the leaders of the largest U.S. denomination put out a statement saying that they oppose any theories that highlight how people of color have been and still are exploited in our society. They said, we, we don't trust this whole critical race theory thing. And of course, this is a, a denomination that was founded on supporting slavery and things like that. But it's 20 freaking 20. How is it that we're still fighting this battle? Another example, I have lost a significant amount of trust in our political systems uh, to take care of people or to do the right thing as they are debating, um, you know, stimulus checks and things like that. I've lost trust. They're going to take care of people. Instead, they often want to take care of uh, businesses. Another example, you know, and I was just talking to this, our economic response this year has in so many ways been from the same playbook that was used in the 2008 great financial crisis that just simply rewarded awful behavior. Why does it feel like we are stuck on loop marching around uh, the same pile of trash? Have, why haven't we moved on? I'm reminded of Sisyphus, that Greek king who was cursed by Zeus. And the curse he got was he had to roll a boulder up a hill. And when it got to the top, it would roll down the other side. And then he would have to go over and roll it up the hill again. And it would roll down again. And he had to do that for eternity. So supposedly he's still at that today, rolling this boulder up the hill only for it to roll down the other side. And I, I personally had a micro experience of that this week as I I worked to evict squirrels from my attic. Any of you had this kind of experience? I had to repair a hole that they had made to get in. And then the next day, there was a new hole. So I patched that hole, but now I did more. I cut all my trees back. I risked my life cutting my trees back so they couldn't get there. And then the next day, there was a new hole in my roof. So I had to patch that one. And now I started removing some lattice work that they were using as a bridge to get onto my roof. And sometimes, I want to pull out my hair because things just won't stay fixed. Does this resonate with anybody? Why can't things just stay fixed when we fix them? Why can't our progress just stay put like we needed to? And the truth is, and I've thought a lot about this this week and this year, uh, all this work that we have to do, it points to a reality in our universe. Our universe, it naturally trends toward darkness, and disorder and chaos unless significant energy is expended to disrupt that trend. That's the truth. And what I'm talking about here is the second law of thermodynamics, which it states that as you go forward in time, 
The degree of disorder in a system will always increase. And this is known as entropy. Entropy. Entropy is a natural part of our universe, uh, and, it, and it causes the universe to naturally move toward random disorder and chaos and darkness. It naturally moves toward squirrels making holes in my attic. It naturally moves toward air deflating from our tires and the erosion of mountain ranges and energy dispersing and movements dying and heat dissipating, just like is happening right now in my coffee cup. This is entropy. Energy naturally dissipates from its source. And the only way to prevent this is by constant injections of energy and effort. It takes a lot of effort to disrupt it. And the same is true of our spiritual and social and our geopolitical systems. They lose energy and organization and order. They naturally experience entropy and tropic decay unless something injects energy and heat and light and organization upon those systems. And so now you know your enemy, my dear fellow squirrel fighters out there. You don't have to shake your fists at the clouds or shake your fists at the squirrels. You can shake them at an even more abstract enemy, entropy. All right, where am I going with all this? Stick, stick with me. Uh, the verses I read a moment ago from Isaiah 9, they're some of the most famous prophetic words in our scriptures. You'll hear them read every Christmas season. They're beautiful, triumphant words about light overcoming darkness and everlasting justice. But they are beautiful, triumphant words written in a very dark, very disorganized, very decaying context. In the chapter preceding this one, Isaiah 8, the Israelites' world had fallen into complete chaos. In Isaiah 8.22, the prophet says, go out and look everywhere you can, but you will only see, the only thing you will find is hunger, homelessness, distress, gloom, anguish, and not just darkness, but thick darkness. Entropy, he's saying, is running its course through our society. And in the midst of this darkness, darkness that blanketed bodies and hearts and minds and hopes, of this spiritual and social entropic process by saying the people who were walking in that darkness have now seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Something, some light has interrupted the deepening cycle of darkness. And it wasn't something that the Israelites asked for or something they deserved or something they worked for. It was a divine gift. Light has broken in to their darkness. And in fact, to make his point, you'll see in the words that he writes there in Isaiah 9, he calls to mind the Israelites' ancient enemy, the Midianites. He says, it's like in the day of Midian's defeat. And he's talking about that time in the book of Judges where, again, in the past, disorder and chaos and darkness had taken over and God's people were being exploited and enslaved and killed by their neighbors, not being very neighborly. So the Israelites gathered together 32,000 warriors to change the system, but God stops them and God essentially says, war will not stop the entropic decay that's going on in this society. Something positive has to be injected into the system. 
more or less. That's my paraphrase. So God sends away all but 300 of the soldiers. And instead of giving them swords, God gives them musical instruments and glass jars and torches and these crazy instructions to just surround the Midianites at night and blow their horns and break their glass jars and lift their torches in the air and then watch as God sends the oppressors running. And it worked. It absolutely worked. And the people were set free because something new, some new energy had been injected into the system by God. Rather than turning to war and violence, God had taught them to turn to other ways to solve their problems, and it disrupted the system. But over time, entropy continued its relentless creep, and God's people found themselves again in darkness, disorder, and chaos, until again, something new. Some new life and energy was injected into the situation, and in Isaiah 9, our text this morning, Isaiah identifies this new energy as a child, and he writes, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the child hero that Isaiah is actually talking about here is a prince named Hezekiah, the son of the king, King Ahaz. This was a king that had completely turned away from God and allowed the nation to fall into entropic darkness and decay. But Hezekiah takes over and becomes king, and he prohibits the worship of other gods, and he goes out and he invites all the scattered people in the region to come and worship at the temple in Jerusalem. He put forth considerable effort to disrupt the spiritual entropy of his society, and Hezekiah went further, and he fortified the city of Jerusalem around him, and he dug underground tunnels to bring in fresh water to it, and then he defended that very city in the year 701 against the Assyrian conqueror Sennacherib, who had been successfully conquering every other city in the region. Hezekiah disrupted the geopolitical entropy of the entire region. And in fact, in some ancient records, Jerusalem is the only city mentioned as having not been captured by this Assyrian conqueror. And so no wonder the prophet Isaiah pens these words and he writes, Hezekiah is a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. He saved the city because he rejuvenated it. He stopped the process of decay and disorder. Eventually though, Hezekiah died and other kings came who stopped expending energy to help the society move toward God's vision of Shalom and they died. And Jerusalem and all of Judah was conquered just like the Northern kingdom of Israel had been conquered before them and spiritual, social, and geopolitical entropy continued its relentless march against the people. Empires rose and fell in years past. The Assyrians were replaced by the Babylonians, who were replaced by the Persians, who were replaced by the Greeks, who were replaced by the brutal Romans. And the world grew darker and darker and darker as might makes right, was writ larger and larger until, again, just like in the time of the Midianites, just like in Isaiah 9, something disrupted the entropic darkness and decay. The people walking in darkness saw a great light. On those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, a light dawned. 
And that light was angels filling the sky, blinding shepherds who were scraping out a living on the backside of the wilderness, inviting them, shepherds of all people, to a baby shower for a child king born in a manger. And that light disrupting the darkness was happening in another part of the world where a group of ancient astrologers and philosophers, they looked up at the night sky and they noticed there's a star out of place. And with hurried excitement, they set off with gifts and newfound hope across the world. In another part of the world, there was a priest, Zechariah. He saw an angel in the temple and he went mute. And Elizabeth, his partner, found herself finally pregnant after decades and decades of trying. Disruption again. And Mary, who Fran and Aurelia read about to us in the service already. Mary, uh, a peasant nobody girl from a nobody family in a conquered and occupied land, finds herself all of a sudden responsible, given the gift of responsibility to hold on to this divine life inside of her that would overturn every system of spiritual and social entropy in her world and in our world today. This wasn't easy. I mean, even her partner, Joseph, he was tempted to conform to the patterns of spiritual entropy in his society. He wanted to abandon his pregnant fiance, but God disrupts that too, because unto her, a child is born and he will be a wonderful counselor who teaches us what true blessings are, as in blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the meek, those who are small on the outside, but big on the inside. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be rich in the currency of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be held in the strong arms of our loving parent. For unto her a child will be born, and he will be a mighty God who can calm raging storms without and within, like when he calms the seas that are threatening to drown his followers, and when he heals a man who's living in a cemetery screaming, and cutting himself all hours of the day and night because the storm raging inside was so painfully unbearable. For unto her a child will be, will be born, and he would be an everlasting mother who searches far and wide to gather every single last one of her children into her home. And for unto her a child will be born, and he will be a prince of peace who says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And behold, I am making everything new. In other words, I am disrupting your endless cycles of entropic decay and darkness and chaos. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And 2020 has been, for us, in many ways, a land of deep darkness. I know this. You, you all reach out to me and Fran and Aurelia and our deacons at all hours of the day and night, and that's fine, that's welcome, that's what we're here for, but we know so many of us are navigating through this land of deep darkness. This pandemic has brought into full view the entropy of our society, the entropic decay resulting from decades of dismantling social safety nets. That's a fact, that's not just Matthew's opinion. From decades of not giving the middle class a wage increase since 1973, the data bears that out. From decades of outsourcing jobs without sharing the bottom line gains in any meaningful way. From decades of loading down the population with medical debt and student debt and consumer debt. And decades of dividing the population among 
ideological lines so they don't have any kind of class solidarity to come together and fight against the entropy from decades, it seems, of people who thrive on creating entropy, on creating chaos and disorder and disorganization. We are in the time of the Midianites. We are in the time, the dark time of Isaiah 8. We are in the dark time of Mary, which tells me that we are primed. We are ready. We are prepared. We are in the perfect place for God's light to break in on us right now, for God to invite us into the work of building strong, resilient kinship bonds all around us. And as we sit in the darkness of 2020 and in these final days of Advent and the Advent season, may we listen for how we are being called to join God in God's work in this world, to be guided by God's light as we work against the darkness and the disorder and the chaos that comes so naturally to our world. That's what it means to say we are a supernatural people when we do this work of fighting against the natural processes of decay and disorganization. We wait with hope for the one who will eternally disrupt the social and spiritual entropy of our world. And we do that together. This is the purpose of our community. And I'm glad to do that with you all. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Amen. <laughs>